Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Seriously Good Podcast. I am your host as always, Casey Evans, and I am joined, as always, by my Glaswegian friend, Danny Corcoran. How are you today, Danny? I'm very good. It's been very sunny here for a change, but today's not, which is a bit depressing. Much like the game we'll probably reference in a bit. (laughs) Reference? No, the entire episode is about that game. We are going to be talking about Roma's obvious uh, loss in the Champions uh, not Champions League getting a bit too ahead of myself there um, in the Europa League final but also talking about Roma's season a little bit in general but before we get to that we have to talk as always about what's been happening around the league and I am not reading these words out Danny so you can start by talking about this since you're the one who put it on the on the agenda for today I tweeted that I'd talk about it so I will talk about it. Romelu Lukaku has stunned the world. Got a whole different section of Twitter tweeting like torso pics of Romelu Lukaku and how he might be the greatest player of all time because he is dating Megan Thee Stallion. And Megan Thee Stallion was sat next to Stefano Sensi, which is some crossover at Lataro's wedding. And it was just, it's been glorious content. It's hilarious. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a point that I'm really looking forward to in this whole scenario, which is the only part of this entire scenario I actually care about, is when either he plays really well or, or, or if he plays really badly in the final, there's either going to be a scenario where Inter Milan Ultras are just arguing with Megan the Stallion fans on Twitter, or both of them are going to be insulting him. And I am looking forward to that immensely. Um, he obviously could also play really well. A lot of people have been talking about him and uh, some some NBA stars and how they play better when <laughs> trying to impress women. I think it was it was it Jordan Poole from the from the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. But the, I mean, they've obviously must have been dating for a while, like now because they're at the wedding together. And Lukaku's form recently has been incredible. Like he's back to his former self, so maybe he is just bawling out. One of my favourite tweets about it, I can't remember who it was, but it was like, I wonder what accent Lukaku used to get. Because <laughs> he obviously pretends to be American a lot of the time. Yeah, it was in the Ameri- I was about to say the American a- uh, accent he used in that podcast when he was insulting both Chelsea and United. It was probably the one. But as someone said, he went through them all. He did the, uh, D- D- is it Damiano, where he just goes through every single accent. Um, but we... We obviously, that is going to be the end of that topic. I don't know if you want to bring it up again at some point, but <laughs> Lukaku, I will. Megan Thee Stallion <laughs> watch. But we have talked about it now, and now we can actually move on to football. <laughs> so, moving on to more important news. Um, <laughs> all the fans are now turning against me and going on Danny's side. Uh, Spalletti is taking his sabbatical. It has now been announced that he is going to be uh, leaving Napoli, he said in his sort of statement that he's given everything he can to the city and the club and needs a break to spend time with his daughter. Now, this comes after, obviously, De Laurentiis activated the one-year extension in his contract without talking to him. The statement kind of seems to be that he didn't really want to extend anyway. Um, obviously, he won the title. That's been what he's been trying to do to years. And he also got Napoli tattooed on himself. So it, it, it seems this club means a lot to him, but I think it obviously is just this sort of thing of, he's been kind of bouncing about for the last few years, and I think he just kind of wants to just take a little bit of a break and then come back to it, maybe in a bit. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. The, I think the full story will probably come out at some point, and there will be a bit of 
aggravation from both sides, like not really seeing eye to eye. I don't know if Spalletti's entire plan was to take a sabbatical after the end of the season. I think that's something that's come out of maybe what's happened with the contract extension. Obviously, the ultras kind of turned against the club towards when they were getting knocked out of the Champions League by Milan, and that was kind of stressful. It's not been that they've had this amazing thing, and and obviously he'll be an absolute legend in the city of Naples for eternity now. But it's kind of had like a saddish ending to it all. It's just sort of all fizzled out. But yeah, I mean, if I owned a vineyard in Tuscany, I'd probably want to spend all my time there too. So. I mean, he's, ta- he's, he's like another bald man. He's taking the John Luke Picard um, approach to going to a vineyard and spending your time uh, wisely, just sipping wine and enjoying life. And then maybe eventually going back to space <laughs> or another uh, European football club. Uh, in other news, which is just kind of broke before we start recording, Andrea Radziani has agreed to buy and save Sampdoria. But one of the big things is, I think it's £26 million pounds worth he's invested and he's put up the Leeds Stadium as collateral which I'm going to guess that Leeds fans aren't going to be happy with I haven't read the responses to yet but it does seem like it's it's putting a lot of Leeds at risk seeing how they've already gone down and the kind of problems that the club have had and how the fans have reacted to that it does seem like if if your owner is now directing his interests elsewhere it might cause a little bit of aggravation yeah and this all seems like very unplanned because I think the plan was if Leeds had stayed up, which they obviously didn't do, the 49ers who own like a large minority stake in the club would take full control. But now Raj Rosani's probably staying if he's putting a stadium up for collateral. Sampdoria are in a mess. If we focus more on Sampdoria, I think it's, it's extremely good news for them. They could have started in the bottom tier of Italian football now they won't have to they'll be in Serie B next year they will have an owner that's navigated the second tier really well like as annoyed as Leeds fans might be with Rajdani and what's happened recently he did take the club off another crazy Italian owner and brought them back to the Premier League after a long long time out of it so it's probably a positive sign for Sampdoria, which is a great thing because that's a club that really should be in Serie A. Yeah, Leeds are definitely not going to be happy because I, I, I did actually not remember, I forgot about this before I, I was saying it. They have been in this situation before where they've had an owner who's decided to mortgage off all they own and completely collapse them financially. So they're kind of, they might be a bit worried about that happening again. But obviously. It all depends. Um, I, I think it's a it's not a great look for the owner in terms of how mortgaging off your assets from another club. But for Sampdoria, they'll probably be very happy since they definitely needed a cash injection. Um, finally, we now know who's going to be in the Champions League next season from the Serie A. That is obviously going to be Napoli, Lazio, Inter, and finally AC Milan, who beat. Juventus and secured their final place. I mean, that's kind of it. Would that was kind of the look that it looked like. Inter didn't look like at the end they were going to make it, but they did pull off some really good form. Sorry, before the end they pulled off some really good form to pull themselves back in. But it does kind of look like the three biggest teams by Juventus, obviously, but they have their deductions, so we're not going to really include them. Plus, an surprising Lazio. It kind of was the way it looked a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah, I think we, all of them had like their stutters and then the great like we like Lazio looked certain for it, then couldn't win for a while, looked like they might fall out, then pick back up. Inter were like basically out of the picture, then I think the Champions League form kind of fed into the league and they looked really good. And yeah, Milan have kind of stuttered over the line, but they were much the better team against Juventus on Sunday night. Um, Giroud scored an incredible header. And yeah, I mean, a lot would have had to happen if Juventus had have won from Milan not to go to the, the Champions League. But yeah, confirmed. And I think there's rumours that they've got quite a healthy transfer budget in the summer. And they look to already have signed uh, Kamada from Frankfurt, which is quite a nice fit for that formation that Pioli plays. So yeah, it'll be interesting to do. It always is interesting under Maldini and um, Milan's recruitment team, what they do in the summer. It didn't really plan out so far last summer, but what are they do in this transfer window should be exciting and interesting. Yeah, and there's only there's one game left. They can probably take that not quite nicely. But, the, but for the teams below them, that one game means quite a lot. Obviously now... It is Atalanta in 5th, Roma in 6th, and Juve in 7th. And that means that Atalanta and Roma will currently go into the Europa League, with Juve going into the Europa Conference League, Europe's premium competition. But they're on 61, 60, and 59 points respectively. So the results of this final game can change quite a lot. Um, obviously, I think Roma are playing one of the teams we're about to mention, Spezia, which is probably an easier game on paper, but Spezia also have a lot to play for which we'll talk about quite shortly and i think the other two teams i'm not sure who they're against you might have that but i i i'm hoping that atalanta managed to hold firm i'm not really bothered i mean i, I prefer juve in the, the conference league because it'd be funny but um it kind of it'd be i i want atalanta to stay in the europa league yeah, Atlanta have Monza at home and oh, no. <laughs> and Juventus are away in Udinese. Why um, is myself this <laughs> Oh all... no, the consequences of my own actions. <laughs> this all might be moot because UEFA might ban Juventus from UEFA competitions next season. So we could end up with Torino, I think, are in eighth place right now. Um, in the Conference League and if you speak to my girlfriend she kind of wants the UEFA ban so she doesn't have to play in the Conference League and it might actually help Juventus out not being in that competition and just it would have been worse if say they'd made the Champions League and then UEFA would have banned them now they'll probably if they get a ban it'll probably be one year and they would have been playing in the Conference League so it might work out for them really but yeah We'll see what happens on the last day. Um, it might just be a case that Atlanta and Roma are already in the Europa League and Torino, which would be fun, go into the Conference League. I mean, it's very close, actually, in that regard, between who is 8th, 9th, 10th and 11th. Um, that's still all to play for as well, that 8th place. So that could be a big, big thing for those teams. Obviously, Torino are in 8th with 53 points, and Fiorentina are behind them only on... Uh, behind them also on 53 points their goal difference is higher I can't remember how Serie A works out I think it's um, head to head so they're obviously behind because of that then it's Monza on 52 and then Bologna on 51 so a result at the weekend could change all of that as well and push one of those teams into the Europa Conference League Fiorentina might not really put out a strong team and could end up 
up in the Europa League anyway through the Conference League final that they've got next week against West Ham. So yeah, maybe, maybe we see Monza just jump all the way up. Monza, as I said, the consequences of my own actions. I've been picking up Monza as this stumbling block for all the teams and finally when I want a team to win just to confirm their place in the Europa League, they could actually just uh, cause me problems. So yes, the consequences of my own actions are here. And as we mentioned slightly before, um, Spezia and Verona are trying to avoid this last place in the relegation. Obviously Lecce won and that kind of confirmed their they are safe. So now it's between Spezia and Verona. They're both on the same points. Um, Spezia have a much uh, Spezia are higher up the table, and I don't know. It'll be an interesting matchup because Spezia, as we mentioned, have Roma, Verona have AC Milan. So the thing is, though, that Roma have something to play for. Ver uh, Milan don't which could factor into that, I think. Yeah, but also we could look at that Roma played 100, 100 million billion minutes last night and lost penalties and... Hamstrings and... Mourinho's angry and upset and how is that going to reflect at home? Also, Spezia have a tendency to sort of get these wild results away from home. We'll probably... We'll probably come back next week and both teams will have lost and the last Verona have gone down probably the way it's going to go Milan might play with some freedom now that they're completely safe yeah I think of that uh, does factor in because if we're going to talk about it, it went for 120 minutes there was a lot of injuries there was a lot of people running around on hamstrings like it was not a fun end to that game at all it was not a fun game which is something we're going to say so we'll move into that now because it was it was awful. I, I, I'm, we're not going to sugarcoat it. It. I, I was enjoying it until I wasn't. I, I thought it was a really fun scenario where both teams were trying to like have this... Uh, someone described it on Twitter as a dog-off, which is, yeah, they, they were both just scrapping with each other. And it was a really scrappy game. But then they also started drawing the game out, diving for penalties looking for fouls, arguing the ref with every single decision, going down injured and wasting time. It was just... It was two teams who thrive off the dark arts trying to outdo each other, and it was horrible. It just was so bad. When you were there, it, I think, you know, actually, you know, you know what? The best way I saw this describe this game was, well, it was a game that started in May and ended in June. <laughs> that is the best way to describe this game. It was beautiful. It was <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> it was a symphony of everything that makes the game horrible to watch it was ex like if you asked like ai to explain what happened in the sevilla roma european final that's exactly what would happen it was just both teams were using everything in their power Mourinho was doing his antics on the touchline it was beautiful i mean roger ibanez looked like he'd been punched in the face about a billion times i think he'd got an elbow from a campos it, the tackles were flying in there was so many there was a penalty decision overturned there was a penalty Roman probably would have gotten Serie A but didn't get in this and then there was the biggest riot of a penalty shooter I've seen in a long time like I think we'll probably go into the penalty show but like if you've watched any of the playoff like in, in the championship of the league uh, not league one league two 
like the penalties like it was only one miss amongst them and they went quite deep this one was over before you even knew it like Roma's penalties were horrible and Patricio doesn't look like he could save a penalty unless he encroached which is what he did but yeah I think it was it, it was definitely a game of a certain taste but I, I enjoyed myself I thought it was it's quite like fun. it's like it's a certain vintage it's like if you like drinking vinegar then this was the the match for you to watch if you just like hurting yourself purposely and you like pain it's like it's like it's the sort of show and fun you get of watching someone eat those really hot chips that have like Carolina Reaper powder on them. It's like it's painful for everyone involved. Like you're watching this and you're just like, that's kind of bad to watch. And the guy in it is obviously not enjoying himself. It's painful for everyone involved, and that's what this match was. But we'll talk specifically about Roma. Obviously, Sevilla. You, you can't really talk about tactics and how they played the game with Sevilla because you know how Sevilla play. You know what they do. They know that they just have this pedigree. They've won seven out of seven Europa League finals that they've been in. It's kind of insane um, that how, how you have pedigree for the second best European competition. I don't get it. They're not, they don't bring it into any other competition. Um, Mourinho set up in a 3-4-1-2 and obviously the big news was that Dybala was back and we'll get into that. He... Mourinho said that Dybala was going to play 20 to 30 minutes, but as Mourinho does, Dybala started. And then Dybala scored, which was a great goal, which is kind of... Everyone was kind of expecting Mourinho to really part the bus, but it was very end-to-end for a lot of the, the game. Like, obviously, it did get a little bit more clammy after the goal, but I think at the start, they were definitely just kind of trying to get the goal and then weather Sevilla's storm, so to speak. Yeah, Roma definitely were the better team in the first half, and that was, from their point of view, that's exactly the goal they were looking to score. Like, Cristante won it back from Rakitic in the middle of the pitch. Rakitic was kind of complaining, wanted to foul. Before he knew it, he'd released the ball through, and it was such a good finish. And, like, that's 100% the most talented player in the, that, that pitch out of everyone is Dybala. Like, he's this incredible player that's just unfortunately made of paper like and is injured all the time unfortunately made of paper and played for Juventus <laughs> uh, but yeah he's uh it was it's sad that he didn't win the final and he was very upset after he's had quite a rough few years and Roma's felt like a, a very good landing spot obviously I think we'll discuss maybe what will happen to him in the summer but yeah, he, he seemed to have connected with that club and he's had his injury issues. He wasn't meant to play in this game. He came back, he scored. After Roma, after half-time and after Roma scored, Roma did what you'd think they'd do and then, yeah, Sevilla came at them and Sevilla are, have, since Mend- Mendelabar has come in, have forced quite a lot of own goals and things like that and that's exactly what they did again with Mancini putting it in his own net. But then it shifted again after Sevilla scored and Roma had like incredible chances to win this game and almost definitely should have put at least one of the three chances I can remember in my head away. Yeah, by the way, when I say Dybala played for Juventus, what I mean is he, he played for Juventus, had a really good start to it, and then you thought it was going to be great, and then he was in that sort of very uncertain period of Juventus where they were a bit messy and then they brought in Ronaldo and then Dybala did nothing and it just kind of was a bit of a mess for him and I think that that just kind of has really knocked his confidence as a player and then his injuries have kind of knocked his physicality as a player and it kind of bit of a mess and this has been his sort of 
comeback season, him showing the world he still has it. Obviously, we're going to talk about what happens at next, but it was very clear when he signed the contract that this was, you may have me for a season, you may have me for two seasons if you get high enough up the table, but I am here to put myself in the shop window, so to speak. But yeah, the, the second half, when Sevilla came back in, they forced the on goal, it was Mancini, put it into his own net. They weren't really sure whether it was Ocampos, because Ocampos was kind of running just behind him or just in front of him, which kind of forced Mancini to have to stick a leg in, unfortunately. But yeah, then the Roma created a lot of chances. The big one, was for me, was the Tammy Abraham one, where it was kind of just a scramble on the line, and they just couldn't get it in. But obviously, this game at 1-1 devolved into the biggest mess I think I've ever seen. It was just so many dives, so many bad fouls, so much everything. I think... Uh, we're going to talk, in the end there was 14 yellow cards, I think it was the most that's ever been in one of these finals there was 14 and one of the big things was that Campos went down in the box there were, two, there were two big penalty shouts actually, and this was coming from the diving there was some, there was some penalty shouts earlier on which Roma got booked for because of clear dives, but there were two big clear penalty shouts where there was actually a decision that had to be made, so we'll talk about the first one, do you think that it was a penalty on a Campos? I messaged you at the time, it's absolutely not a penalty. It was very, very clumsy from Ibanez, and Ibanez is quite... I really like Roger Ibanez, I think he's a very good defender, especially in that back three, but he can be quite clumsy and reckless, and he definitely was there, but he kicks even... I don't even know if he means to kick the ball, but he kicks enough of the ball for that to definitely not be a penalty. And the way that Acampos dives is hilarious. Like he throws his head back. He he sells it like he's like going for the Oscar. No, it was definitely not a penalty. And VAR turned it around. I don't. Just to touch back, Anthony Taylor had a bit of a stinker. Like he was not in control of that game, and he could not control that game. Yeah, I don't think any referee to to, to give to give Anthony Taylor a little bit of credit. I do not know any referee currently refing that could have had any control of that game. Lahoz. Because it was just a mess. <laughs> Lahoz would have just sent three people off. Like, Lahoz, we'd be, in, we'd be 20 minutes in and he'd just be like, yep, red card, red card, red card. Right, go on then. I'm just going to go walk over. Oh, Mourinho's complaining. Red card to you. Sweet. It would have just been chaos. I think the, the stadium would have got besieged by fans if Lahoz was managing, uh, was a referee in that game. It would have been horrible. So that was the first penalty shout. I, 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 I was a bit 50-50 on it, but I do agree with your point that he seemed to get enough of the ball. He didn't make contact with the man, but it, it was, yeah. I think your description of it being reckless, but it was enough to overturn it was a decent one. I think the second one was more clear-cut, and I think Mourinho's reaction to it was 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 glorious, but I do think they should have had a penalty. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things where... I do think they should have had a penalty because I've seen it given, and it's just this no, there's no consistency over the handball rule. Like it said, oh his arm was in a natural position, but then I've seen it given where it's like, oh he's in a natural position, but he has blocked a chance into the box, or he has it is out slightly. It's like not next to him, and obviously, uh, like Bade had it kind of like next to him, but slightly outstretched. It hits his arm, it doesn't go into the box, and the VAR check it, but then don't give it as a penalty. But the thing was, is I, I've seen it given when it's right next to him. Like, because, uh, I mean, I found Lissandro Martinez earlier on in the season. We lost to Real Sociedad because he was going down to ground and had his arms supporting him. And it hit his, it like bounced and hit off his leg and hit his arm. And they went, oh, yeah, it's a penalty. And I'm like, 
the rule is just completely inconsistent. Yeah, that's like the Champions League between Napoli and Milan in the second leg. Can't remember who it was, but Tomori kind of gets sat down and the ball bounces off his standing arm. I, and it's a penalty. I don't think they really should be penalties. But yeah, this one... This is one... It's like... It's definitely... It's where the penalty rule feels quite harsh. Like, that wasn't a good ball into the box. I don't think it was going to a Roma player. But he definitely handballs it. And I, I don't... It's definitely something. It's definitely a foul, but it, it would have been harsh for that to be a penalty. But as in the current rules, that's a penalty. And I think Roma can feel very hard done by that they did not get that. Because especially in... Well, not so much now, but Serie A for that like th- sort of two year period, handballs were so harshly judged. Like that was, it was de- it was a penalty for me, and I think that the club and Mourinho are justifiably angry at that decision because they should have got a penalty. Whether it should be a penalty, in like my moral code, probably not. It should be something else, but by the rules, that that was a penalty. Yeah, it's it's the inconsistency. That's the thing. Like the fact is, is that Mourinho can easily point to like two or three examples of that being given, and go, well, why wasn't this given? And they'll go, well, the referee didn't think it was a penalty, and was like, well, that doesn't really fly, does it? It's like, well, if I had a different referee, would I've got a penalty and I would have won um, the Europa League final. So it was this mess continued for way too long. Um, I think it went to 130 minutes in the end. If that was on the clock, like that doesn't include the extra time after. It probably was like 150 actually when you include like the extra time at the end of um, um, half time, normal time, and then slightly at the end of quarter, the quarter point in the <laughs> quarter past the one. I, I think there was six <laughs> minutes or something added on at the end of the first half, seven minutes at the end of the game, about three minutes at the end of the first extra time, and they ended up being like 10 minutes added on. <laughs> there was a ridiculous amount of, like, in quotes, game time. The ball wasn't in play for most of this. Like, it was lots of rolling round, lots of violent tackles, lots of arguing. There was one towards the end of extra time, the big scrap on the touchline, which was entertaining, where Mourinho then goes over. is like, is like trying to fight his way through all this staff Um. Michael Oliver stood there like a cone, like not doing anything. And then Mourinho grabs one of the Sevilla subs and just shakes his hand and hugs him out of nowhere, which was bizarre. But it was, yeah, it was, it was an absolute riot. But it was quite entertaining to watch. It was, it was like simultaneously entertaining to watch and also like I want to gouge my eyes out at the football on display here. Yeah, I, I I said it on Twitter. I had a moment of clarity. I was like, "Is it insane to watch that moment of clarity if this has gone on for way too long? Like, this is this is this twenty minutes too long, and I just I hate it so much. And every every minute of this twenty minutes feels like an hour. But obviously, it goes on and we get to penalties. Roma made a lot of subs because obviously the fitness was completely falling through the floor. I think Matic came off with a hamstring. I think obviously like another player on the other side uh, I can't remember who it was for Sevilla also came off injured I think it was Tellez came off injured um, and then there was just loads of subs one of the big things that I think Mourinho he had to make these subs but it was a mistake in the end was he took off a lot of his penalty takers 
Obviously, Dabal is quite a good penalty taker. Tammy Abraham's quite a good penalty taker. I think Lorenzo Pellegrini's quite a good penalty taker. And this left him with not many options going into a penalty shootout. And the options he then ended up choosing were questionable, to say the least. As a person that grew up playing centre-back and took penalties, I was crying at Twitter last night. No, but no, it was stupid to be honest. Uh, like, fair enough with the substitutions. Dabala is done. Like he was absolutely done after after he scored the goal. He pretty much checked out. Um, it was after that. Um, Matic was forced off, and I think Matic would be quite good penalty taker. Um, Pellegrini. I don't know if there was. He was just, but he takes a lot of penalty takes set pieces. That was weird. Tammy looked a bit done in, and I thought Tammy was quite poor in the game after sort of 30 40 minutes and probably should have come off but then to pick fine Cristante takes the first penalty it's a really good penalty but then you have guys like El Shirari you've got Belotti why are you taking the chance of having Mancini who did like the classic central defender thing of hit it hard down the middle he hit it too hard down the middle. Bono actually would have got out of the way. This is the thing is, is everyone's like, oh, it's really the the Penenka penalty is all this thing. The, the reason the Penenka penalty exists is because you do it so slowly that the goalkeeper will dive out of the way of it. He did the complete and utter antithesis of this and just smacked it as hard down the middle that, that even though Bono was trying to get out of the way of it, he just hit it at him. <laughs> like it was just such an insanely bad penalty. And then so was even as uh, hit the post. It just looked like he was going to hit it as hard as possible into a place, but I mean, Ibanez looked like he'd had about 15 blows to the head in that game. Uh, he didn't look confident. It was, it was, it was a riot. Yeah, it was, it was a complete mess. And obviously, then it came down to the final penalty, which was taken kind of poetically by Montiel, who had come on as a sub. He obviously took the final penalty in the uh, Argentina penalty shootout to win him the World Cup. Um, he took the final penalty here. He missed the final penalty, uh, but then encroachment was called by VAR and they retook it and then he started it home to win the Europa League. And I'm assuming that... I didn't see the camera afterwards because they kind of really were focused on the celebrations, but I'm assuming Mourinho was absolutely fuming at that. I don't even know if they cut to him at all. I think the big Mourinho thing after the game was... Everyone was like, is he going to do the thing where he goes to the parking lot and waits for the referee? And he did it. Like, just Say the line, Bart. <laughs> it's just like... It was glorious. Like I, I genuinely do believe, like, Mourinho obviously got it wrong with picking the penalties, but I do believe, like, to a degree that they were very unfortunate with the refereeing, especially with that penalty. But, like, when, when a... When even the slightest refereeing decision goes against Mourinho, it's going to be absolutely chaos. It is It is the very much the boy that cries wolf of Mourinho because Mourinho, if any slight decision goes against him, even if it's correct, he'll do it. And he does it to deflect blame away from himself and the players. But the problem was, is like last night, yeah, there was some stuff that he could be quite like offended by. And obviously like he could say, oh, some people should have red cards and some people should like, his own players should have red cards as well in that regard. But it does get to the point where it's like, one, when he starts complaining about it, you're like, well, it's just Mourinho being Mourinho. Two, waiting in the car park 
and then shouting at the referee that he's in absolute well, effing disgrace. We're not going to swear on this podcast. It is family friendly. Syria, <laughs> one for all the family. Seriously, good podcast. Um, that he's that he's a disgrace. He's just going to get himself a ban. Like there's no other way about it, and it is just an overreaction. Like he could have just easily just not done that not turned like i think someone said like his commitment to try and turn it into wwe is commendable he does have that like effect where he like he's the heel he is the he'll make your club the villain if they're not already um and then he'll make everyone buy into this like the conspiracy theories the everybody hates us the refs hate us the establishment hates and when it works, and to a degree, it's definitely works at Roma. Like, they won the Conference League. They got to the Europa League final. This is a team that have only ever won, like, one European trophy, which was, like, the Ferris Cup back in the 70s or whenever it was. This club that's not won Serie A in a long, long time. I don't even think they've won the Coppa Italia in a long time. He's got them winning trophies, which is what he promises, but... At some point, it's all going to go to flames. Like it's not going to. It's not a sustainable model. He'll complete. I think he complained last night that he's not got like the squad he deserves. But he's also spent more than anyone else in Serie A since he's been there. So, is that? Yeah, I think he's like fourth most or something, and that's like behind like Juve who who are getting done for financial, like, alleged financial crimes, which is kind of insane. Like, he, so when it goes wrong, it it goes fully wrong, uh, which is just a well-documented thing with Mourinho. And, yeah, then last night after it, he was very non-committal on his staying. He said he needed things at the club to change. He'd love to stay, but he doesn't know if he'll be able to that he's not heard from any other clubs, even though it's heavily rumoured that there's a certain league un club looking to secure him so yeah when it's when it roma have definitely i don't i don't think they change anything from like i don't think they'd go back and not hire him like they definitely would he's bought into this whole thing it's exactly what that club kind of needed but it's going to be his third season if he stays and you can imagine that it probably won't be a positive one yeah, I, I wrote something about this for my newsletter, played on paper, plug it very subtly. Um, last night, the thing with Mourinho is he, he 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 thrives at clubs where the expectations are that they are the underdog. Like, Porto is Champions League run. Like, even Chelsea, like, everyone always talks about how he got the riches at Chelsea, but the Chelsea had a lot of riches but weren't taken seriously. Like, they were like, oh, you've bought all these players, you're still having to beat United, Arsenal, all this sort of club. And he, then he kind of creates this sort of siege mentality that he can build up. And he, like you said, he likes playing the villain. He likes being the sort of foil. He likes when expectations are that he needs to beat someone to, or beat like the golden boy. And I think this is the thing with the third season sort of thing is like, it's when expectations catch up with him, that's where the problems start to happen. Like when it's like, oh, we, you, you, we expect you to win. We expect you to do better than this team is... Um, is or meant to get to like we expect you to win the Europa League final we expect you to get top four because his league form hasn't really reflected this sort of cup run I think he's not like Roma are exactly where they were before he came they've probably conceded more goals in that time and they're not really as secure and they're still not looking like they're going to get anywhere else after all this expenditure 
And this is why I think he shouldn't go to PSG. Because I don't think that PSG, PSG have that sort of culture that he can kind of foster. Like, yeah, they're kind of the underdogs in the Champions League and they've never really been taken seriously in the Champions League. But they're still, like, very easily the best team in the league. And, and when you you can't change a team based on 12 games in a European competition and for 38 games they're considered the best team by a country mile that can give you whatever you want. Like, obviously, any manager would walk into that situation and be like, I can buy whoever I want if they're happy to give him the players he wants and be happy to like build the team he wants, then any manager would go, oh, that's great for me. But at the same time, I don't think those players buy into it. And I, and I think there'll be clashes with someone like Mbappe who definitely likes doing things his own way. Yeah, on the Roma and your point about expectations catching up, like it's been two years and they've not finished in the top four once. Okay, you win the Conference League last year. Okay, you're close to winning the Europa League this year. But for the amount of money you're giving Mourinho and the amount of money that you're then putting into his squad. And the top four was not a very strong race this year in Serie A. There was Inter were down on their luck. Roma have better resources than Lazio and should be finishing above Lazio in the league. Milan have stuttered a lot. Like, Roma need to be finishing that top four. Juventus, obviously, with a points deduction. Like, to not finish in the top... Okay, we'll give them the first season. That's fair. You're getting... You're finding your feet. The second season, not to finish top four. And, like, all... The whole success of this season... I don't know if I said it on the podcast or tweeted it, but, like, the whole... This season, banked on last night being a win. Like, if it was a win that was incredible, Mourinho would have had his name written in roman history but he lost it's an absolute car crash of a season they're going to be back in the europa league if not the conference league depending on what happens there they didn't win this game they probably will lose dabala they might have to turn over some of their squads like matic is very old now patricio is not that good a goalkeeper in my opinion the squad needs some turnover and and the thing is with Mourinho, he'll always leave your squad in a worse state. Like he'll leave it in a bad state. He won't leave it in a healthy state, like some managers can. So, I don't think this whole experiment. I think I don't know. I go back and forth. I think they'd do it all again, but I think it's there. It's very precarious about what happens next to Roma. And yeah, PSG and Mourinho. I just, they are the underdogs, I guess, in the Champions League, but it's a squad full of big personalities. It's a very mismatched squad. Who is Mourinho going to bring into that situation? And what is the state of PSG going to be? I think most people could safely say that if Mourinho goes to PSG, they'll probably win the league two, three years in a row, but they won't improve in Europe. And that'll be that. And then he'll leave the squad with... Well, actually, to be fair, I don't know if you can leave the squad of PSG much more mismanaged than it is now. So, I don't know. Maybe it's a risk worth taking. I can't see him working well with Ocampos, to be honest with you. No. Uh, and, the, uh, yeah, the thing with Dybala is is that I think if, if a team is willing to take a risk on his injury record, I think he's gone. Like, I think it's... Tw- is it 12 million euros for a team... Is it in the Champions League? I can't remember the stipulation. Outside of Italy and in the Champions League, I think it's 12 million. And then within Italy, I think it's something like 25 million euros. 
Yeah. You can, I can just see someone like Aston Villa coming in for him, like to replace Coutinho, who definitely didn't work either. It's just one of those things where I think he, he he's shown enough where another team can definitely do something around that price. I can't see new fashion icon Paulo Dybala and his extremely famous in Argentina girlfriend slash fiance slash wife, whatever she is, living in Birmingham. You make a strong point, but at the same time, like, he doesn't have to live in Birmingham. Like the, like the Barca <laughs> director that was meant to go to Aston Villa this summer and just took one visit and said, no, thank you. I have a, I have a grudge against that place because I got stuck in a train for four hours there. I think anyone who's been to Birmingham has a grudge against that place, I'm not going to lie. Um, but he could end up in Barcelona, he could end up in Spain. Like Sevilla definitely seems like a destination that he could end up at because they definitely like the club that would sort of sign him. He doesn't seem like he's going to end. And I think that kind of takes a lot of the dynamism and sort of energy out of that team if he leaves, especially going forward. I mean, there's been talks that they might get rid of cashing on Tammy Abraham already, might change change the sort of um, forward line. They need to add some stuff to the defence. As you said, they need to get rid of Goki. Like, it's a lot. Like, it is definitely like, it's a new project straight away. And I think they'll probably be happier if Mourinho makes his decision now on what his future is. Like, whether he's going to stick with them and say, all right, well, I want this, this and this. And we'll go, okay, we can give you this, this and this. Or if he just goes to PSG and they can just start rebuilding under a new manager without the sort of halfway house of him going, well, I want this, this and this, but I'm definitely not happy. And then like three months in, he starts screaming at people and everyone's like, well, we have to sack him. But now we have a team that's way too embedded in Mourinho's prospects to do anything for the next three years. I think, touching back to Tammy, in hindsight, they should have sold him last summer when his stock was a lot higher. This season has been quite difficult. He's looked very poor in parts of it. He's not scored as many goals. I think they could have got a lot of money last summer from maybe United, maybe gone back to Chelsea, maybe another one of those teams, maybe even Newcastle with their riches. Now I think you're going to have to have some sort of discounted price on on Tammy as to what it would have been last summer. And I know it's a name I bring up a lot, but like if last summer you'd have sold Tammy for 60 million euros, something thereabouts, and flipped it for Skamaka maybe that would have been better for like the squad building, but that is hindsight, and obviously it's, Tammy was great in this first season, less so in this one, but it will, will be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah, he's very, he's one of the unluckiest strikers I've ever seen. Like He definitely does all the right things, he just can't seem to score, and that kind of got summed up last night with that goal line scramble. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see with Roma. I think the... I think, it could be a situation where next season is not a good look for them, I think. We'll have to see. But it could also be a situation next season where Mourinho just does the same things and just runs one more season and sees what happens. Um, but I think I think that's everything. I think we've summed this up nice and well. I think that's been another good episode of the Seriously Good Podcast, if I say so myself. And I hope you've all enjoyed listening to it at home. Is there anything you want to say before we sign off, Danny? If you want any further reading, go to the old played on paper article that came out last night uh, on the Roma Mourinho situation. But yeah, I'm very interested to see what happens with Roma this this summer. It's a club that I've always kind of liked because of Totti. So hopefully, hopefully they come back stronger. Yeah, we all love we all love uh, 
Francisco Totti, and we all love Roma because of it. Um, I definitely didn't realize you were gonna. He's got he's got a Totti bobblehead, and I've got a Totti picture behind me. So yeah, we all we all love Totti. I I definitely didn't realize you were gonna plug my newsletter. Then I thought you were gonna talk about Megan Thee Stallion again. Uh, but I'm glad you didn't. So we'll move on <laughs> quickly before he he unmutes his mic again. Um, but again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, next week we will be doing another player, uh, another team focused as the season comes to an end. We'll probably also do a roundup of the season over the next couple of weeks because of well yeah because it's just nice to look back and maybe pick our favorite games or something like that we'll, we'll work out a format <laughs> we don't plan this as much as you probably expect we do but anyway thank you again for tuning in this has been the seriously good podcast i've been casey that's been danny and ciao